that lonesome whippoorwill He sounds too blue to fly The midnight train is whining low I'm so lonesome I could cry I've never seen a night so long When time goes crawling by The moon just went behind the clouds To hide its face and cry Actually, I hear that lonesome whippoorwill. He sounds too blue to fly. The midnight train is whining low. I'm so lonesome I could cry. I've never seen a night so long when time goes crawling by. The moon just went behind the clouds to hide its face and cry. Did you ever see a robin weep when leaves begin to die? Like me, he's lost the will to live. I'm so lonesome I could cry. The silence of a falling star lights up a purple sky. And as I wonder where you are, I'm so lonesome I could cry. By Hank Williams. Written in 1942. Really? <laughs> it, but it was worth written by Hank Williams. Yes, it was. I got into Hank Williams when I was trying my hardest back in... Um, 2004 or 2003, between 2003 and 2004, I had food poisoning in D.C. And I was... From Chipotle, years ago, before they had this listeria or norovirus outbreak. I had a... Man, I was... I lost 14 pounds (laughs) in like six or four days. Six or four days. We were there Thursday through Sunday, and I got sick on Thursday night. Everything I put in my mouth, I threw up anything, and I was throwing up everything, man. Water, seven, everything, seven up. I didn't do nothing that week. Then finally, when I got better, I went to um, uh, Barnes and Noble in DC. I found a Barnes and Noble. That was my thing to do. Go to Barnes and Noble back in the days. You love bookstores and browsing. You love browsing. You love to browse. I like my thing was I can't stand browsing. I did this sober, even though I also did it annihilated. I will go to Barnes and Noble with Ivan Cuellar and sometimes Rodrigo, but mostly Ivan. And I will find like look around the Barnes and Noble like five books or magazines that I want to look at. And I will sit with my coffee there for like three or four hours. <laughs> And not buying nothing. That was my thing, man. So I did that in D.C. because I was sick. And everybody went out to do their thing. They went touring. I didn't do nothing, no touring in D.C. That first time I went there. I can't remember anything I did that was. I did more touring when I went with you. You mean tourist stuff, like <laughs> sites, tourist seeing stuff. the sites. No, man, nothing. Oh, I knew with the toilet that week. <laughs> and screw Chipotle. I hated Chipotle. <laughs> you hated it. When I met you, you were like, oh, my God, never again. Never. And you told me your whole experience. 
I was like, that's the only one Chipotle. So I went three years without eating Chipotle. I still want to eat it unless it's there. Someone next to me has to want to eat there. <laughs> and I'll eat there, but I never go there on my own. No, it's never a choice of yours. I don't see why, though. I don't see why people hate on Chipotle because it's just beans, <clears throat> meat, tortillas, and lettuce and stuff, vegetables and condiments. It's not like they're saying, here we made chili rellenos or we made sopes or whatever. They're making burritos and tacos and they're just, it's just those ingredients. I don't see why people get all mad and say, oh, it's not Mexican. I mean, it's not trying to be like super Mexican. It's just a burrito place. <laughs> I don't see it as some place. Like I would think Taco Bell. If I see more Mexicans going to Taco Bell than I do Chipotle. When you go get a burrito at um, places like Grand Central Market, it's the same line. Yeah. You tell them what you want. Yeah, it's the same thing. So when I was at Barnes & Noble. such hate towards Chipotle. I don't know, man. It sucks. <laughs> When I was at Barnes and Noble in DC, I was looking for books, and I ended up buying a document, uh, a biography of Hank Williams. I've heard of him. I don't know his, his music that much, so I bought the book, and I read. I would say I read half of it. Then I picked up a DVD instead. <laughs> I picked up a DVD. There's a docu- movie of that. The movie of the. Oh, you picked up a documentary. Okay. It was a good documentary. I think one of his um. Grandkid is in it at the end. Kind of looks a lot like him. Yeah, I think his Hank Williams Jr.'s son looks like Hank Williams. Because his son does not look like him at all. I, I couldn't believe that that was his son when I found out years ago. I was like, what? He doesn't look anything. Fat, bearded, redneck. I don't know. Are you ready for some football? <laughs> yeah, if you're wondering um, who was that singing... This guy, his son is the one that says, are you ready for some football? Yeah, I don't even think they use this song anymore. Hank Williams Jr. Hank Williams Jr. So I read half of the book. I got to know everything about him, you know, where he was born. The Texas guy, right? No, he was born in Bethlehem, Alabama. Oh, really? Right? That, where where um, Alabama, Bethlehem is? Well, there's Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. There's several Bethlehems. Down south or Mississippi. I'll see. I'll see for sure. He used to, he, he was, grew up with a single mom. His dad was crazy, I think. They put him in a psych ward. Hmm. He grew up during the Depression, man, so it was a rough. Mount Olive, Alabama. Mount Olive, Alabama. So um, I learned a lot about him, and uh, I learned I had a rough life. His dad at 29 years old from drinking too much. Had a back, he, had, he grew up with back problems. He had that disease, I guess, um, I guess. I wonder if he had like Marfan's because he looks kind of like that. Yeah, like, it was like one of those back diseases that like, back then everybody was getting, I guess. Oh, I don't know. So he was, and he was touring with a, one of those medicine men. You know the medicine man? This potion here will make clear your face. The snake oil salesman. Snake oil salesman was one of his sponsors. So he would, get, he would always get those bottles. The medicine shows, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. He died instead of a Cadillac. 52 Cadillac with his guitar, stage suits, and other things for his tour. They're on his way to a show. How he met his first wife, he saw her with some guy at a show, and he walked into a, the bathroom with a with a pistol and told that guy, I'm going to marry your girlfriend or your wife. <laughs> he did. After every show, he, he was the first guy that was like a, like a, like um, he lived a, 
People say the rock and roll lifestyle, the heavy metal lifestyle, the party lifestyle. Yeah. Hank Williams, man, that fool used to break a guitar over somebody's head after every show. Yeah. So they always got to get him a new guitar. Yeah, when, when, uh, I was always surprised by, uh, the other, the real life behind some of those country music stars. Cause my grandmother, I grew, Rough, up, I grew up with my grandmother, um, loving country music and I hated it. I could not stand it. And she would watch Hee Haw. I mean, she's from Kentucky. So she would watch Hee Haw and she watched Grand Ole Opry, uh, on TV. And it was just like Saturday was all fucking country music all weekend. <laughs> I hated it. And, um, but I sat there and learned it. I learned all this stuff. And, um, and I was just surprised because I would think, I always thought there was always a little element of Christianity going on hand in hand with Chris, with country music in my mind. They sang a lot of hymns, even Willie Nelson, you know, he always, there, there's always that joke that you're sinning on Saturday and you're, you know, confessing on Sunday, you're, you're asking for forgiveness on Sunday. And, um, and, and that's kind of pervasive through the Southern community, you know, but, um, it's kind of like a Catholic sort of way of thinking. It's okay. Get wild. You just ask God for, for you. As long as you're in church on Sunday, you'll be right. But it was so strange because you'd, then I'd hear about certain people like, you know, domestic violence and drugs. And I was like, these people do drugs. Like these people seem like they're kind of straight and narrow, but like kind of corny, you know, they didn't seem like they were living rock and roll lifestyles. So when you, when I would hear about it, it always seemed more shocking to me. I don't know why that it was a country singer acting this way or behaving this way. Cause you'd think, you know, you were brought up like a country boy, you know, you shouldn't be acting like that. You shouldn't be doing coke and stuff like that speed yeah. johnny cash was fucking crank you know like it seems and, weird and hank william used to write and produce his own songs and pick out the outfits for the band and um but and also he would get so drunk that um they would have to wait for him to dry up which means to sober up he would get so drunk that um it would be he would be out of work for six months and the only way that the only thing that brought him back to work was lack of money. So he would just get paid just enough to, to um, continue to not work. And for a long time in my life, I thought I could live that way. You did live that way. I really thought that I could live that way. I mean, instead of taking taking this guy's life, you know, he inspired me. His life inspired <laughs> me. So I started listening. I bought the CDs, you know. I went to... um. You look at ways that he can excuse your behavior or you could say, well, look, he did it, you know. <laughs> then I started like, I, I, want, I always um, I always relate to people like that, I guess artists like that in a bad way. Like, okay, um, Hank Williams, his mom would make him sell peanuts, you know, around the, I guess by the train tracks, he would sell peanuts. And uh, I guess just say, for example, he has to bring back $5 out of every peanut. So Hank Williams started make, started taking peanuts out of the bags and saving them, and then later on he was making he was selling those bags for his mom and selling his bags, so he was making extra money because he was splitting the bags. And then I thought so about he was scamming his mom. He was hustling his mom a little bit. Yeah, she was hustling him too, though. Yeah, she's using him. So that's what I thought. You know, when I was a kid, my mom would make me hustle her stuff, like collecting the Avon money or translating for people or make making those pillows out of nothing and not getting no money. 
Where's my money? So I thought, okay, yeah, I did that too. I got to start listening to the um, Hank Williams in my car more and more. And then when I started doing um, partying with those people that I used to smoke crack in my neighborhood with, like where I used to live on Elysian Valley, mm-hmm. Frogtown. Man, I don't know. They went on a mission in my car, I guess, and they came back. And he goes, man, what the hell was, was in your car, man? That's some corny-ass devil shit. <laughs> oh, the Hank Williams music? Yeah. <laughs> he thought it was devil shit. He was like, man, Hank. Hank he was like, man, makes you want to have sex with your cousin right after. <laughs> you know, because they're like R&B guys. Yeah, yeah country kind of has a, it's some, I don't know, when you hear it. I don't, it does things to me, too, when I hear it. I don't really care for You know what? I can't stand new country. I really do respect uh, and like like things like old Dolly Parton, old Loretta Lynn, um, uh, Tammy Wynette. I loved all those people. And then um, as far as guys, I don't even know. I don't I didn't really care for many of them. Johnny Cash I like. But, but when I hear other like newer country music, it's just just sounds awful. It's not my, uh, I can't stand it. I used to sleep with my uncle, right? Not in the same bed, but across from him when he was over with us. And um, he used to fall asleep listening to country music. He didn't even know what the hell they were saying. But I guess it sounded like old-timey music to him. He would just leave it on a, a little. He had a little, uh, one of those little radios was just AM and FM. Mm-hmm. Ham radio. Transistor radio. Transistor Mm -hmm. radio, yes. Yeah, well, it also, the Texas sound is familiar to Mexican guys who were working near the border, too. You know, they shared that music. They shared a lot of stuff. They've got that accordion, you know, that's shared also in Zydeco music and stuff. Zydeco and Tejano music sound a lot alike, and they're only like one state away, you know. Zydeco, that's like you dancing with Cajun dancing? Yeah, it's Cajun music it's uh you know new orleans and there's or there's the accordion and you know a little kind of two-step beat that comedian um chris doran um every time his father visits um oakland he always um times it to a cajun dance contest or a cajun dance at the vfw or something oh yeah he's a dance does he dance himself yeah um that's funny i think um Chris was trying to get him like a Zydeco band to show up for his birthday, but they couldn't find one. <clears throat> That's funny. I've never met him. Still haven't met him. He's cool. He looks like the music teacher from Fame. Oh yeah. <laughs> the school I wanted to go to. And I wanted to go to that school so bad. Fame, you know, because everything they were doing, I want to do. You know, I want to be a comedian. When I saw that guy. Hack, not even funny. <laughs> it was awful. He kind of ruined my. Like when I watch him, I, I would get mad. Like, he was not funny. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you be better? I wanted to be better, man. And every time there would be a chance for someone to do stand-up comedy in a show, and if they weren't funny, it would discourage me, man. Like I, maybe I can't do it. You know, this is the best you got. This is the best you got. <laughs> I was watching TV. this show one time and. The waiter went up and do stand up. <laughs> oh my god! And they were doing all inside jokes about the place. And the owner goes, and then the owner puts him to the side one time. Let me tell you something, man. You ever 
go after and you do jokes about roaches here, I'll kill you. <laughs> so like, I'll kill you. Because <laughs> he's, I don't know, man, but it was disappointing when I was a little kid and I was see a stand-up movie. You know, it's like, um, it's like meeting your best, your the best hero or some comedian or rock star and you shake his hand and he tickles your palm, you know, <laughs> or just something weird happens, you know, or he stinks. <laughs> yeah. You know, like maybe I, sometimes I don't want to meet people. Like when I met David Lee Roth and he looked so drunk and I, that was like my dream moment. And, uh, it turned out horribly. You do like Gene Simmons with red makeup. <laughs> Who? Oh, David Lee Roth. Roth? No. It was, you could, it looked like his eyes were filled with Jack Daniels. That's all I remember. Like he was so drunk, he was looking through me, and uh, and then I was like, "Man, how old are you? You're getting loaded on a Thursday, like at the Laugh Factory." <laughs> that was weird. That's such a letdown. Who have you met? Okay, the Stephen Wright story, where you met Stephen Wright, and he he covered his hand before he shook your hand because yeah. he's a germaphobe or whatever. Or you were you were also greasy and sweaty from work at Yoshinoya at Dodger Stadium. But any other weird meeting celebrities where you didn't... Too short. They want to take oh, a photo. Oh, that's right. You were pissed. It's a pretty good record, though. You've met a lot of celebrities. Only two. Only two, man. I hated Ethan Hawke. I told you I waited. I don't know if I talked about that on the podcast. Also, on... on um, he was an asshole to me. I was on... I was on... Um, I went to Dodger Stadium. They were having uh, um, one of those um, tailgates. And um, I don't know if it was K-Rock. Kevin and Bean. I don't know if it was Kevin and Bean or one of them. And I tried to ask for a K-Rock t-shirt and they said straight up no. <laughs> and um, and then I flinched and I made him go back because I thought I was going to punch him. You punked him? Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't know that's assault in Singapore. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Did he give you a shirt? Hell no. Oh. <laughs> but um, I wanted to go to a, show, a, a school like Fame or any kind of school but except my school. <laughs> that my school sucked. Your school did suck. The time. And I always like, I was always thankful for the time that I got to go to a different school because, or I, I knew, man, like I know this, I don't know why, I guess because my mom taught us or my mom was always involved, you know, like my mom was always involved looking out for activities, you know, for free stuff or something, you know, to take your mind out of being in the projects. Um, I signed up. She signed me up to Venice Beach Camp. I mean, I, I know I didn't sign up. I was too even small to sign up. But I guess I told my mom about it or I came home with a paper and she said, yes, go. So I went. When I was in, um, I was in second grade, I had, I had a crush on my teacher, Miss Huckabee. If you're out there, you're probably 70. She told me she had a little son. And I said, I don't know, man. I want her to take me to her house. <laughs> Just to kick it. <laughs> she had a short blonde hair. She looked, she looked like one of the... Of, um, like she could have... She dressed the way um, the guy from... one The guy from um, Beverly Hill... The Beverly Hillbillies? Jethro? Jed, when uh -huh. he was trying to be a director. Oh, Jethro, uh-huh. She had that look. Like, uh-huh. Whatever style they had or whatever style. It's kind of mod, I think. Yeah, that kind was, of mod. She was, was very mod. mod. she was very mod. Yeah. She would wear like a little um, a little hanky over her neck with a little brown shirt. And um, I don't remember what she taught. 
I was my second grade class. But I would talk to her about, I would always talk to my teachers about any stuff. I would stay after school, man, just, just to um, not really get in her head or just, um, I don't know why, or hang out. I mean, there was no bullies waiting for me outside because um, I was friends with a bully and he would just take me along as he bullied people. <laughs> so we, have, we live in the same neighborhood. And he knows that maybe one day I'll grow up and whack him with a stick. Which I eventually did. <laughs> You're crazy. Yeah, my favorite teacher. I had a lot of favorite teachers. And my teachers were funny and they told me a joke. That was my favorite teacher. But I also had some mean teachers, man. Like Mr. Edwards and Utah Elementary. That fool was missing fingers. He used to pick up a paddle and bang it on the table hard to scare us to shut up <laughs> like a big old paddle like like that wrestler ho i saw jim duggan, duggan. <laughs> yeah he, he had a paddle man and then like um everybody will start talking and then he'll go whack and sometimes chips will fall on you <laughs> chips of the wood chips the, of the wood oh my gosh yeah he was mean then there was another teacher i never had her name was miss miss um Hale, she was a little old lady, you know. She looked like the oldest lady from Golden Girls, but mean. And um, nobody liked her. They said she was a bitch. That was the first time I heard somebody say, no, that lady's a bitch. You know, this girl said that. <laughs> and I said, whoa. I said, whoa, man, she's mature. Because <laughs> she was speaking like a grown woman. Like, she's no, she's a bitch. And I never, like, seen a, a little girl speak like a grown woman before. I said, whoa, this girl, um, I thought she was um, classy. <laughs> Not classy, but already like mature enough to know that nobody has said it, nobody has said nothing bad about her, no bad words about her. We're too little. We just said she's mean or should you go to hell, Miss Hell, or, or jump, make jokes with her name. Mm -hmm. Nobody said I want her dead. I had a teacher in fourth grade. Her name was Miss Waite. She was fat, and I always laughed. She always knew what I, she knew what I was laughing at. <laughs> she was Miss Waite. She was a white lady. But in third grade, I had um, two teachers. I had Miss Flannoy. She was an old black lady, man, with short hair, old. And um, I was always to touch her skin because it was all old. <laughs> Like, I used to always touch her skin. I would pass by, and then um, I would hold her hand. And then I would just touch her arm because it was all old, man. And I would squeeze the skin and then play with it like it felt like fish skin. <laughs> <laughs> she was cool. Then uh, Miss Reynolds, man. Miss Reynolds, she was like my teacher right after Miss Flannoy in third grade because they split our class, and I had Miss Flannoy for the, the the end of the semester. But Miss Reynolds, man, I used to tell her everything, man, about, she used to have a poster on her desk that said, um, how can you soar with egos if all you do is hang around with turkeys? Yeah, you talked about her on the your What's Up Fool podcast, right? Yeah, man, and I never knew what that shit meant, and she nobody bothered to ask. I guess we're supposed to get it one day. <laughs> 
I had a teacher kind of sounds like that. She was, um, her name was Miss Bright and she was, she was very pretty. This was eighth grade. No, no, no. Seventh grade. And she, um, she was a math teacher, but she was very, she was a black woman, light skinned black woman. And she had gray hair that was long and it was pretty like she, she looked like she looked a lot like Whitney Houston in the face, um, big teeth, you know, perfect teeth. And she, um, but she was so classy and, and smart and articulate and like strong. Like she was just somebody you never messed with. Right. And, um, she always would talk about, you know, trying to get kids to be proud of themselves and proud of who they were and all that stuff, especially in a black school, trying to get them to be, you know, proud of being black. And, um, and she, uh, she had all of us. This was part of everything we ever did. This was math class. Okay. We had to have a sentence, um, written at the top of our paper, whether it was a test or homework or a worksheet and exercise, anything we turned into her had to have, I think the best, therefore I expect the best. And we had to have that sentence written at the top of each thing that we turned into her. And I guess doing that exercise was supposed to somehow instill in us that feeling of, you know, not settling for, for less, you know, from yourself or from others or whatever. But it didn't, it felt so stupid to me because it didn't, I mean, I get what she was going for, but I don't think it accomplished that because you just, because also you'd get deducted points too, if you didn't do it, if you didn't put it, if you forgot. And I was, I I got some points deducted because I didn't know, this is right after we started school for the, for the year. I didn't know it was supposed to be on every single thing. So like a pop quiz, I've got to write that on the top of the pop quiz too, where I get points off. I was like, I thought it was just like homework or something, you know, not tests and stuff. I thought that was stupid. I just remember right now that Miss um, Reynolds and Miss Frenoy, they knew each other. And then they saw me. Well, you know, Felipe? Yes, yes. Have they told you about his adventures at the wrestling arena? <laughs> He goes, yes. He's just telling me right now. Because they were all like, I guess even till then, I guess I knew how to tell a story in detail. Uh-huh. But I guess they were like, they liked me talking about those stuff. No one, I always stay to the end mm-hmm. of the class and just talk. I wanted an audience. I think I wanted to start my own podcast when I, when I was a little kid, but I didn't know how. <laughs> Felipe Esparza having coffee with teachers. <laughs> Today we have Miss Reynolds right here. She looks cool. She's wearing those glasses like Catwoman. She's wearing her little dress that goes up to her shoulder and her nice shoes <laughs> and her college degree. <laughs> college degree. I remember when I was um, down and out and I was like already like running, doing bad stuff in the projects. It was in 1990, and um, we were running around, you know, like drinking and driving a fast car through the neighborhood. I walked into the elementary school, and the sc- well, school was still going on. And I was trying to ask somebody if the teacher still worked there. He 
and said, no, man, I guess they had died or something. They were too mm. old. They were old when I knew them. Yeah. They looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> you, know what I look, you know what I look like when coming in there? <laughs> what? I look like that biker from Raising Arizona, that dirty. <laughs> coming into school. Mm-hmm. What time of day was it? Oh, like noon. Oh, wow. They had just finished lunchtime. And they let you in the school? Well, I walked in there. Oh. <laughs> I got like two can I help yous. <laughs> I just turned in the main office waiting. What if she had been there? I don't know, man. I would have, would have broke her heart. <laughs> Would you have like broke down in front of her or cried or something yeah. like that? Like were you at that point where you oh, wanted to give me a little hug? <laughs> give me feel your skin. <laughs> she probably would not remember me. She has so many kids. I know. I wonder how some there are teachers who do remember. But they remember the bad ones. A lot I of was. the kids they remember bad ones, but they remember the good ones too. And they remember the ones that were special that they had a soft spot for, you know? I had a, a teacher who who got me into music even though he was supposed to teach us about um electricity. <laughs> I had Mr. Waters, I think his name was, or Mr. Whatever his name was, I didn't do nothing in that class. <laughs> we were supposed to, this guy was teaching electricity to us. It's funny, all the classes in my school had nothing to teach you about going to college. There was there wasn't a class in my high school, growing up, that were college bound classes. Like most of the stuff they were teaching us, or like the first year of high school, they were all like getting us ready to go to the workforce, like, like vocational school or something. Yes, like we had um, blue collar. We had mechanics. Yeah, we had wood shop. Wood shop, and uh, in my elementary school, we in my junior high school. We had metal class, like I was um, 12, 13 years old, 14, using a, a, a whole um, welding gear. Hmm. And then I didn't know that other schools were teaching computers already. We weren't learning computers. You know, what's funny is when I went to school in Colorado in fourth grade, we learned computers. We learned how to write small programs, you know, to make little animation happen and stuff like that. And that was cool. But then I went to the inner city schools in Ohio, no computers. I took typing in eighth grade, like typing straight up, just a word processor. There were no computers in the classrooms. There was no computer class, nothing, nothing the rest of my school years until I got to college. It's sad. Not one computer. Something happened along the way in my math course. In junior high, between junior high school, because they transferred me, I went to a, uh, a gifted magnet class in, um, in junior high. I went to Al Sereno Junior High School, and I was in a magnet program. So this lady, I want to stab this lady. <laughs> she used to talk with a little wisp, a little whistle. Like she'll say something, she'll say something and they go, shh. Yes. Shh. Yes. yes. So tomorrow, bring everybody, bring their homework. So, so tomorrow. <laughs> My dad would have loved her, man. <laughs> man, this lady, everybody had to do their homework. It was the first class where the teacher was hardcore homework. Mm-hmm. Like every day, she gave away homework. Like if we had um, holidays, she gave away fucking homework. Like homework over the holidays with this fucking teacher. You need that. I want to stab her. <laughs> okay? It was a history class. And I didn't do nobody. When you wouldn't do your homework, 
She would like go like this to see if you did your homework. And then if you didn't, she'll give you a letter with an envelope. And then the envelope, you're going to write your address, and she's going to send a letter to your mom that oh. you didn't do your homework. Uh-huh. So, man, I she, she's, the, she's one of the first teachers taught me how to ditch class. <laughs> I had to intercept that letter. <laughs> so she made, instead of in, encouraging me right. to do my homework, she encouraged me to go intercept that letter. Right. <laughs> But me, I'm an idiot. Now I'm thinking right now, I should have given her a fake address. Yeah. <laughs> but no, man. The, the, support, my mom was supposed to get that letter and sign it, and then I take it back. Tell me about this lady had all planned out. <laughs> so something happened. I'm in my math class, and I got a – my math book is the math book with two old-timey cars in the front of it in the middle of a field. That's a fifth grade math book, okay? Okay. And I'm in seventh grade. Okay. They can put me in a fifth grade math book. <laughs> everything is easy. <laughs> and um, I get angry, man, because everything's so, uh, it's, a, it's a mistake, man. This is the, no, we just, we got your test score. This is where you belong. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> they so, tested poorly. So I ended, up, I ended up finishing my homework before everybody and started whistling that class. It was easy, man. It was so easy as I failed. Because <laughs> then you just didn't try anymore. That's how it happens. Mr. Munoz was the worst teacher, man. I'm not worse. He was cool because I, get to, I got to do nothing in his class, too. This guy had no... This guy was an, an industrialized teacher, man. He had the same work every day. And I know that he didn't check the homework. He didn't check nothing because sometimes... In the sentences, I would say bad things about him, and he never, like, corrected it. <laughs> like, if the word was um, you wrote sub- stuff. <laughs> subjective. Yes, I've been very subjective over to Mr. Munoz's everyday boring-ass work. <laughs> so the next line will be um, never example. Any of it. Example. Here's an example. We do the same work every day. It's fucking boring. <laughs> and, then, and, then, uh, and then, like, so, man, it got so bad that um, I started I started just turning in the same homework. <laughs> I'm scandalous, man. I was, you really the, work hard at not trying. Oh my god! And then I, <laughs> and I was telling people, "Well, you don't gotta do nothing, bro. You just turn in anything. This guy's not gonna check. I already figured him out." <laughs> and you got away with it. Yeah. Wow. So he really never checked anything. Never. And then oh. the test was, a, of course, the test was on everything he taught us. But he didn't teach us anything. Man. I could have got a hold of that test. I told you. I think I mentioned on my, on my, on Mr. one Munoz. of the earlier uh, episodes that my worst, well, one of, I had several bad teachers. I had such bad teachers. The first one in seventh grade was Mr. Hendricks. And he looked like Jimi Hendrix, but crazy. He looked like a homeless man off the street with a leisure suit that fit poorly. And he had wild, kind of unkempt afro. It was more than, it was like uneven. It wasn't even like, it wasn't a good afro. It was just wild. What afro that looked like somebody, he got hit with a bat. It was like if Don King's hair is like smashed down a little bit, you know, like that. But he sat there, he gave us worksheets every day, the same worksheet. This was social studies class. He gave us worksheets 
and um, sat there and put his hands down his pants like Al Bundy, you know, just like sat there with his hands in there and then uh, fell asleep in front of the class. And that was our class every single day. And uh, it was horrible. How horrible that was. I can't, I, he must have had tenure because he was older and uh, he had to have had it by then. But then there was uh, um, with that horrible teacher I told you about the other day, Mr. Veach in fourth grade, fifth grade in, in Colorado. He was an asshole. And he was so mean to me. I felt like he singled me out from all those kids. And he, uh, he hated me for some reason. He hated me. And then I started flipping him off behind his back. <laughs> because I hated him too, but it was behind his back. But I swear he either turned around really fast and was able to see me do it once or twice, or he could see in the sides of his glasses that I was flipping him off, you know? And, uh, I don't know how he figured it out, but he did. And then I had a big lecture from him, but I was having a lot of trouble that year. That was the year my dad left. And, uh, that was, you know, he never even bothered to ask what was going on at home or whatever. Why I was all of a sudden being so contentious with him, you know, fighting him. But he was so mean to me. He wouldn't, every other kid in the classroom got to take home the hamster, the class hamster for the weekend, right? It, they, he rotated between, he rotated through all the students in the class and each student got a weekend with the hamster. I didn't get a weekend. So when my best friend got her weekend with the hamster, she was packing him up on Friday at lunch when everybody was at recess. And she said, do you want to help me pack him up and get his food together and all that stuff? I said, yeah. And I wanted to hold him too. And, uh, Mr. Veach came in while we were in the classroom together, my friend and I, and I was holding the hamster, playing with him. He cursed me out. He cursed out my friend. Why are you letting her hold him? Why are, uh, this is your responsibility and you're just throwing it away. And then he took away her weekend privilege with the hamster. And neither one of us got the hamster. And he was pissed. And it never made sense to me why he didn't ever want me to have the hamster. It was so mean. And he was the one, so when I was coming back from recess that one time, they, they always did a gum check, right, to see if we were chewing gum or had food or anything on the way back in from recess, right? And so I looked at him, and I was like, pretend chewing, you know? I was just pretending to chew, but I had nothing in my cheeks. I was just being a bitch, I guess. And he saw me, and he said, spit it out. And I said, I don't have anything. And I opened my mouth, and there was nothing there. I said, ah. Oh. And he grabbed my face. This is a 50-year-old man grabbing my face. I was 12, 11, 11. And uh, he squeezed my cheeks really hard in front of everybody, teachers and students coming in from recess, from outside into the hallway. And made you a chipmunk. And it hurt so bad, and it was embarrassing, and tears started filling my eyes. And he was mad that I played him, you know, mad that I was joking around like that. What an asshole. He was so mean to me. I hated him. But he wasn't like that other guy, that substitute, who embarrassed me in front of the class in fourth grade. With your fur coat. 
That was the saddest thing. This guy, we had story time, and this was a substitute. He was probably with us for like a week or two. My teacher was <clears throat> sick or something. She had surgery or something like that. And is this is Colorado, so it's cold. And we had a... Uh, we were having story time. This was fourth grade. I went and got my, I said, hold on. I got to get my fur coat. And I was just being like, I don't know. I got to get my fur coat. I don't know why I was acting like that. So I went to get my, my coat. It wasn't a fur coat. It was a white puffy coat, you know, but it was dirty. Velour. It was dirty because my mom, we really couldn't afford to do laundry. <laughs> Not for three kids. Uh, we couldn't afford to do it that much. So my coat, you know, was, it had some problems. And that teacher in front of everybody said, you better wash that fur coat. He was all sassy, like, you know, spicy saying it like that. You better wash that fur coat. Like I'm surprised he didn't do two snaps or something, you know? And then the kids were, Ooh, like the kids came down on me. Like I thought we were in this together. He's a substitute. Fuck this guy. But it was embarrassing. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> it was sad. That was a substitute teacher? Yeah. Yeah, I should have jumped him or something. What was up with him? He was young. I think everybody liked that he was young. Mr. Edwards, too, man. One time he freaked out. That the guy with a board. I don't know what were, what happened in the classroom, but I brought dates. But then I told him there were roaches. And he really <laughs> thought there were roaches. And he freaked out. And then some other teachers told him, you really thought it was a roach? <laughs> well, these kids, you know where they live. <laughs> oh. He made it worse for oh. himself. Oh, what the hell? <laughs> he made it worse for himself. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> but I remember um, this teacher made fun of some other kid like that because that fool had uh, boots all the time, right? His boots looked like the, the guy's boots in 16 candles. Which one? The one that she had the crush on, Ryan. Oh, Jake Ryan, like Timberlands, Timberlands kind of. No man, his boots look cool on him, but imagine those boots all jacked up, man, with the bottom looking like a puppet. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then uh, my teacher, sixth grade, he was funny already, man. With the cordado, he was Portuguese. He had a funny joke. I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a front to the bottom. Me never got it. <laughs> That's funny. But he always say that, and now. Uh, he said it to his guy named, um, his name was, um, I forgot his name, but it was a, uh, some dude on the projects. And he said, man, he goes, could you move your battleships? About what? His shoes. <laughs> battleships. <laughs> he was trying to walk by. I guess he was picking up papers. That's and he goes, funny. could you please move your <laughs> battleships, please, Rodolfo? <laughs> I fucking died. I know they got hurt because <laughs> later on, everybody would call him battleships. <laughs> I thought it was fucked up. Oh, Can you move your battleships, por favor? Your battleships. <laughs> oh, man. That was funny, man. And then there was some girl. Poor girl, man. She was so ugly. Uh, she had green eyes, or blue eyes. Uh -huh. They used to call her zombie. Zombie? Why? We're in sixth grade. Oh, was she dark too? Like, no, she, was light, weird? she was light skinned girl, like Awerita, mm -hmm. with curly hair, but her eye was just big, man. Blue eyes. They used to call her zombie. And then she would chase us and try to scratch our backs. <laughs> what? 
And then one time, like, <laughs> was she a zombie? Yeah, one time, um, she beat up, she hit Marsha or something, and I saw, and I just pushed her a little bit, and she went ah. <laughs> but later on in life, I saw her as a grown up. She was a mean crackhead. So man, gee, I wonder why. I know, man. She's a zombie. <laughs> she ended up being a zombie. <laughs> Self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, Mr. Edward, man, he freaked out, man, on that on those dates. It was weird. <laughs> Idiot. And uh, when I was in junior high school, I had um, a music teacher who was totally cool. He was my homeroom teacher. He was like a six foot two, six foot three white dude, old man. He looked like uh, like a fat conductor. He had <laughs> white hair, smooth back. He said, I, th- "I found him interesting because he said he grew up in um, Chicago." And he knew Al Capone's kid, supposedly, or something what? like that. Yeah. The name was Mr. Bose. And and if you don't stay quiet, he's going to put his um, size t- his size <laughs> 10 in the, you know, hmm, hmm. He'll tell girls not to put their makeup, their war paint on. I had him for music, and he taught me all the history about all the instruments. Like, though, I learned all there is to know about music. And um, he would always play the piano for us in homeroom. And in the class, he would get everybody quiet, would start playing the piano and start making them sing a song. And then everybody would start singing together. Mm-hmm. We were horrible. We were, not, <laughs> we're not a singing, we're not a chorus. Uh-huh. And he didn't care. <laughs> you just have fun. Yeah. And then one time he brought his, um, his son's band to play with us, play for us. They sucked. <laughs> they were like a rock and roll. I don't know, man. They were just not good. <laughs> Oh man, that was their biggest gig that year. There was a kid in my, yeah, there was a kid in my class who was a who was a hardcore crip, and uh, he knew my teacher, Mr. Bowles, knew that he was already a bad kid. That he was on his way to have prison life and jail life. He could see it. I couldn't see it. I just thought this fool was crazy already. <laughs> so, you know, it's for beating up men, <laughs> and he said. And he always talks to me. I don't know why the killers always talk to me. Why am I easy? Am I, am I the coolest guy here, or what? Am I the only kind of guy that's gonna give you the time of day? <laughs> so he's talking to me. He goes, yeah, because Mr. Bo, you didn't say Bowes, man. You know, because I'm um, Bowes talking with a B. <laughs> yeah, man, cuz right here, man, Mr. T- teacher right here, man. He want me to spend the summer in his house, man. I'm thinking about maybe go there and just you, we can rob his ass, man. <laughs> like I was telling him, why don't, you, why don't you bring this guy with you, man, also? Then we could just rob him, take everything back to the hood. <laughs> oh, you told that. I think you – did you tell that on What's Up Fool podcast? I don't know. I think you did maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy that you were ro- – he was planning on robbing him. He did rob him, didn't he? No, he didn't. He didn't? He, he was didn't just talking point. about it? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's funny – a lot of kids in my neighborhood, like him, even though he was already, like, doing dirty stuff in my neighborhood, you know, um, probably selling drugs. In seventh grade, he was probably 14 or 13, but already, you know, involved. If Even if he wanted to go with Mr. Bose to his house, you know, with his family and myself, he would have to ask permission from his mom, and his mom would say no. But... Running around in the neighborhood and doing bad shit, that's fine, I guess. Like, yeah. I had opportunities to go to places, you know, where I thought it was going to be cool. My mom said no. 
So I ended up staying in the projects. I was sad. Yeah. <laughs> There's more trouble to get into. I had Mr. There. Shaughnessy, man. Mr. Shaughnessy was my history teacher. He was a badass fool. He had um extra extra credit all the time. Like, I don't know if I mentioned it on the What's Up Fool, but um he he took us to a teacher's meeting. You know, a teacher's meeting mm-hmm. in his bug because he wanted the word he was teaching us about um I guess unions and all that. Mm-hmm. So he took it to a couple of teachers union and a couple of little like um another meeting for extra credit. And he ended up um be getting kicked out of school for I think he was a I found out he was a communist or something. Crazy. When he had the teacher strike, he was the he was the one that was telling my teacher you asshole from up there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Your birthday's coming up. Yeah, I'm gonna be thirty. <laughs> I'm really kind of stressing over what to get you because you're horrible to shop for. Get us, get us a hooker for us. Oh my God. You're horrible to shop for. You hate. I don't think I've ever gotten you a gift that you liked, but I've gotten you a lot of good gifts. But then you're only as good as your last gift. So if there's one thing in there that you don't like, you feel like you didn't get shit. You're not the greatest gift giver in the world. I'm not sure what you're expecting in return. I'm trying to think of some good gifts for you, and you don't seem to appreciate them. I give gifts all year round. <laughs> so I don't know what you want. I don't know what to get you. You have everything you need. You know, getting back to to um, teachers, you know, a lot of people who who are who um end up doing well or they graduate or something, the way what they get pissed off at teachers who who told them they ain't gonna be shit. We ain't going to be nothing. Mm-hmm. And um, here's one I read today. I'm so happy and proud to tell you all, hating hoes who said I wouldn't be shit that I graduate college this Saturday with an associate of science. So fuck Mr. Gordinas from Chafee. Fuck my cousin's mom who said I would die before I was 21 or become a drug addict. And fuck you if you're mad at this post. Kiss the cheese off a bum's dick. Wait till my bachelor's degree program is over. You'll really be mad. Who was that? My daughter. <laughs> <laughs> she put that up. Yeah. <laughs> I guess with a master's degree, you burn people's house down. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did. I went to my brother's um, associate degree graduation. And I was in a bad going, man. It's a lot of people here for just an associate, association. Uh, man, sometimes I think that there's too many graduations nowadays. Oh, yeah. Isaac just had a sixth grade promotion. Like, my At least they didn't have stupid caps and gowns. How many times did Gia graduate? I don't know. <laughs> Gia graduated from preschool, kindergarten, man, twice already. Yeah. And now she's going to graduate again. Is she? I don't know. No, not yet. She goes to the... Catholic school by the church, so it's like she goes through eighth grade, I think, there. And then they go off to um, high school. I remember my graduation from junior high was awesome. The last time I graduated. Graduation's not all it's cracked up to be. I've done it three times. And uh, I'm no smarter than you. Yeah, I had. A, I never had any other graduation. We had, we had we had middle school. I wouldn't call that graduation. It was kind of like a final concert or whatever that we did and had awards. 
you know, graduated high school. I was 11th in my class in high school. What does that mean, 11th? Well, like valedictorian is the first. That means they're, they'd had the best grades in all, in all that 12th grade, right? They had the top GPA. That's valedictorian. Salutatorian is right under that. And that person had the second best GPA of the whole 12th grade. And those two people usually give a speech. If, if the salutatorian doesn't give a speech, the valedictorian does, definitely. And it's just kind of like, uh, a lot of times the valedictorian is also very involved in school and stuff and like has, you know, they're on all these clubs and after school programs or theater, all that stuff. And so they're very popular too and they know a lot of different people. And they'll give a speech at the end of the year. But, um, but so then the rankings go after that. So I was the 11th best GPA in 12th grade. And then uh, went on to college, graduated from college, and then grad school. And I wasn't going gra- to walk. I didn't want to walk. What's grad school? When I got my MBA, I got my master's. But that's, it's graduate school. It's right after, it's after you get your bachelor's degree. So the bachelor's degree is a four-year, usually four years. You graduate again or just give it a card? You graduate again. I didn't want to walk, though, except my mother wanted me to walk. And I said, well, you're not here, so you'll never know if I walked or not. And she said, well, then I guess I'll have to come out there. And I said, yeah, okay. And then they came out there to New York, and they saw me graduate. Your grandma, too? Yeah, my grandmother and my mother, they came to New York. She flew? They flew. I had, um, you know what? I had like, uh, not buddy pass. What's it called? I had free tickets. I had vouchers from United because they fucked me over one time. So I had a lot of vouchers, and I paid for their trip up to um, New York. Both of them through with those vouchers. I think I only paid sixty bucks after that, after using the vouchers. But. Um, they came to New York and they were uh, they watched me graduate from grad school or walk or whatever, and I got my MBA. But the master's program it depends on what you go in. It's, it depends on what field you go into and what sort of what the program entails. But the one I went to was um, it was very much like the workplace. It really was. It was a great program, and it wasn't a lot of you know. Well, sometimes you have to do uh, a thesis. You have to do like a final paper and and um, that ends up being like a book form. If you're working on your doctorate, you're basically writing a book on some topic and you do all the research and you have to defend it basically sitting in front of a panel of people and they question the research you did and all that. But this program was a little different, but it took me... That's to get a doctorate? That's to get a doctorate. But some master's programs, you have to do a thesis as well. Although you don't have to defend it like a PhD student, but you have to, uh, and usually as a PhD student, you're working closely under a, a professor. They're kind of sponsoring your PhD candidacy, right? And it could take years to finish that final paper or that book or whatever. Um, but as on a, some of the master's programs, you have to write a really intensive final paper as well. And that might be your only class. It's not even a class. You just meet with a professor and go over your stuff, your your work. 
and you'll do research on a topic for until you're done and until you have a final product that's worthy of a good grade and that professor will grade it for you. They'll basically judge it and that's your final grade in that class. Sound like a, sound like a scam. No, it's not a scam. It's just a lot of work. But I wanted something more practical because I didn't want a research I wanted research for a while, but then I stopped. I wanted to be a professor, but I stopped um, thinking about that. I wasn't interested anymore, and uh, so I wanted. I switched. I switched master's programs to a, a business master's, an MBA. It's like finance classes and management classes, marketing, all that stuff. But we had to really work as groups, 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 groups and produce stuff. And, and what I realized when I worked in groups was I hated working in groups because there's always some asshole who didn't do shit. And that would have been me. <laughs> he sat there in the corner. Would have been like the first one we, moving the pen but not writing shit. And we all, I, I know all the moves. Would have been, yeah, I let's know, do this. I know all the moves. There was We're a, repeating everything you say <laughs> louder. There was a French dude in one of my groups. Oh, well, we had a lot of international students in my MBA program in New York. And there's this Danish girl from Denmark, and her husband was working in the U.S., so she just decided to go get her master's while they were here, while they were in the U.S. So she had nothing else to do. She wasn't working. So um, she got a student visa and started going to school, and she was great. I learned a lot of stuff from her. She was older. And then there was this dude who was French. He was the laziest guy I ever met. This guy was a grad student. He must be from Paris. He did not want to do anywhere. His name was Luke. But he, um, Luke, did not want to do any work. And he looked like a male model. He looked like a Paul Walker kind of guy, you know, light eyes, except his shaved head. Yeah. I, I guess he was used to getting by on looks or charm or something, but I, I saw right through it. I was like, you're just here to scam everybody. You're not doing anything. You're not doing anything. And you're right. Pick up the pen first and start writing or... Making it look like he's doing stuff. Anybody the ride, I'll try to drive him. <laughs> I will get coffee. He, Go wouldn't, on. he wouldn't show up for um, group sessions if we were meeting on the weekend. And with no explanation. Not like, hey, sorry guys, I can't make it or whatever. Nothing. Take just, notes for me, please. Just not show up. And I really felt like we have to do something like the real world. We have to fire this guy. Let's get him off our team because we all get the same grade. I don't feel like working for him to get the same grade. You know, he's just sitting here staring. But anyway, that, a lot of our stuff was group based, but it seems like a lifetime ago. Crazy. But my point was that graduation doesn't mean anything. Degrees don't mean anything. Not to me anymore. Education is kind of, I don't know. I don't find it any good anymore in most cases. Even basic education for things. You know, I start to question, like, the stuff Isaac's going through in school and why are they learning some of this stuff. And and uh, although that school was pretty good because they had a good balance of tech stuff. They all used Google Classroom. Like, they started teaching them how Where? to communicate with Isaac, his teacher. They communicated through Google Classroom and Google Docs. They would work on presentations, and then the teacher would see the work that they had done immediately. You'd get feedback. You could email your teacher. Like, he had a whole community there within his classroom. And I thought that was really good and something he didn't get at the charter school. So I thought that was... that was, uh, And that's actually like the workplace. If you're working on a project and you're emailing back and forth, you're marking up stuff, you're getting feedback, 
and you know we're training kids in regular school we're training kids to be factory workers still and that work is not out there that's not the work they're going to be needing skills for coding they're going to need to learn more coding more um i i don't there's it's it's hard to explain they're, they're not even i think kids should be shown that they can also start businesses and do things on their own you know to have a little faith in being able to create something that's yours that you own and not just working for somebody for a paycheck from somebody, you know, that's something I don't think I was ever taught. And, you know, you talk about it and the hustle and everything and selling stuff to make a little profit, uh, you know, hustling what, what you were saying that guy would like Hank Williams would take out a piece, you know, and make his own little extra bag side bag yeah. and make a little extra money on top those things, it's hard to teach that. That comes from necessity. It comes out of life and trying to get by and maybe seeing your mom get by the same way, you know, taking a little cut here and there. But as far as school and, and business, that's business right there. You know, that's the basics of business. But you're not taught anything like that in school. You're not taught how to think of things that you love to do and turn that into a business. You yes. know, how can I make money off this thing that I love to do? How can I, um, what's the, you know, how can I make money if I need money? You know, go buy something like, I think a lot of people, and this is why immigrants I think are so resilient. They're constantly thinking of ways that they can be needed, you know, because if we were to, when I say we, I mean regular Americans who've been here forever, just working a job, getting a paycheck. If you're not a hustler and you lose that job, total devastation comes in. You can't, you're not thinking right away, I need to pick up and make a little bit of money here in some quick way. You know, they think instead, I got to go to un unemployment and get unemployment check. But an immigrant, I think, is more likely to say, hey, I know how to make, you know, I'll make $20 profit tomorrow if I make all these little sandwiches, you know, or make some tamales or make uh, corn or whatever. I'll make, I'll have 20 more dollars than I did the day before if I just make 10 corns or whatever, whatever I make. You know, little stuff like that. Am I boring you? But, um... But I don't think the regular American stops and thinks how to make quick money like those little ideas, you know, like the woman we saw at the park at the birthday kids' birthday parties happening in the park. There were probably five or six birthday parties going on that day. She had her little kids with her and she was going through think, uh, collecting cans and bottles to recycle. And these weren't homeless kids and a mom. They were probably broke. Yeah. But they were doing everything they could to squeeze out the final little, every little bit of extra money they could, you know? Little gas money. Little gas money. It's funny because I used to think um, my mom, well, this wasn't to make money, but it just reminded me of doing things with your mom or your parents that you hated doing. Because, you know, sometimes in the summer we'll see little um, Mexican kids with their families. I don't know if they're Mexican, but Latino kids with their families and their families are taking them along on the shitty jobs. You know, these shitty second jobs that they have, you know, like 
like the fruit man here, yes. right? Who comes and sells fruit here. He and his wife on the weekend, they, or maybe two days a week, they'll come by with fruit. And the kids are with him in the summer. And I'm thinking, okay, they learned a little bit of something, but they're having a really shitty summer. Like this is their summer camp, you know, and that's not very fun, but they're with mom and dad. Maybe they like some of that, but it's boring most of the day. You're at work. You're at work as a little kid. It's boring. But uh, I forgot my point on that. But, um, oh, I was thinking of that the stuff that my mom used to make me do that I hated. And my mom was, uh, she felt like she was the, um, the patron saint of the stray animals in the neighborhood, I guess. And we used to go feed. We had, there were a lot of stray dogs and cats in our neighborhood. And we used to go around, I don't know, 11 o'clock. It was always after I had my fucking pajamas on. Lisa, let's go. Let's go uh, feed the dogs. We had three dogs at home at the time, three or four. But I did, she didn't mean our dogs. She meant the neighborhood dogs. And what we would do is we would go, she would buy, and we didn't have extra money to do this, but she would buy like bologna. We didn't even eat bologna. But she would buy packs of bologna. And we would drive around the neighborhood, and I had to throw bologna slices out the car window. Making it rain. To every stray dog that we saw. And that's how we ended up getting a few stray dogs that way taking some of them in. One of them we took in. He had a broken arm. He became my favorite little dog we had. Lefty. <laughs> His name was Chiquita. I named him Chiquita because he was a Chihuahua. But he, he was mixed with something else. He was bigger. He was like a Chihuahua and a Jack Terry, Jack Russell Terrier or something like that. But, um, but yeah, I used, we used to go around feeding the dogs in the neighborhood. And I, it pissed me off so much. I did not want to go out there. And we would fight to see who would have to go with my mom, but it always ended up being me. Did you do anything like that with your dad? Stuff you hated, like work or some shitty chore that you had? Yeah, to hold a flashlight. On? I hate that. <laughs> I hated that. I hated waking up in the morning at seven in the morning on Saturday when we we're supposed to sleep in. <laughs> who said you're supposed to sleep in? And we have to watch the truck. It's oh, yeah. old, man. Jafandi had to do that. Cold. Her dad made them do that Our every weekend. Our hands were frostbite. <laughs> but, uh, my brother Angel, once in a while, my dad was not looking, he wet his back. <laughs> Your I dad didn't that notice? That was funny. No, it was like, he's standing too close to the truck. <laughs> and then we didn't go nowhere. <laughs> he just wanted you to wash the car. Why couldn't you have done it like noon instead of 730? Then we'll go to the bakery with my dad, and then we never go pick out our own bread. He's picking out everything. He's biting everything. <laughs> he's biting everything. Like he must have ate a whole bread, but by the time he got to the cash register, <laughs> he didn't pay for it. Oh, yeah, we talked about your dad getting samples and ruining and it for everybody at the other store, at Ralph's. <laughs> That's probably what they didn't like doing the most, washing the truck in the morning because it was too hot. Too cold. Yeah. I thought we were going to sleep in. And I wanted to want to. I want to watch cartoons, but not that early, man. Oh, I was up early on the weekend. Because I liked, and I still like that to this day, I liked waking up or being up after everybody went to sleep. I liked having the house to myself because 
living in a one-bedroom apartment with five people. Well, my dad was around, but four people when he was gone. Uh, that really sucked, living with in that small apartment. There was never any time to yourself, ever. And you probably never had any time to yourself either with all those kids in the house. Yep. But I couldn't stand it. It drove me crazy. I just wanted like, I didn't want, I always wanted to grow up and not have mornings where people are getting ready and it's crazy and loud and everybody's stressed. I didn't want that because my mom was yelling every morning. So I enjoyed getting up before everybody else and having at least, you know, like 30 minutes without any noise. And then I, the older I got, the, um, I started waking everybody up in the house. My mom worked third shift, so she was coming in a little bit after I woke everybody up already. At night, I would go to bed late after everybody was gone, had already gone to bed. I would watch Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, and, and soap reruns. And Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman is a weird show. And I didn't really get it, but I enjoyed the, the weird atmosphere of it. None of the jokes made me laugh. It was so, have you ever watched that show? Never. It's so weird. It's like a bored housewife sitcom. It's a, it was a weird show. She was a bored housewife at home who always had like her neighbor or her sister over. And she talked like this. And it was almost like she was on something. And then she'd wax her kitchen floor and talk about it. It was a really strange show. They wrote it on acid. I don't know what they did, but it was weird. It, but it was kind of, I don't, I don't know how to describe it, man. It was kind of like a drug trip almost, but it wasn't supposed to be. It was just supposed to be weird. But, uh, wow, I got to watch that again and see if it makes any more sense as an adult. Is it? Yeah. I got to look for it. What's it going to be on the show again? Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Maybe. Well, that. man, before uh, we went to the beach, we love going to the beach. Yeah. Went to Venice Beach. This as soon as I got back from Chattanooga, we went to the oh, Memorial you know, Day. We had a quick Memorial Day barbecue, and we dropped off Ike at his dad's, and we went to Venice Beach. He had another barbecue, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his dad said he wasn't going to have a barbecue, and then he had. But yeah, we went to Venice Beach and we rode bikes. It took like an hour and a half to find parking. Oh my god, that was horrible. It was one of the busiest days. To go to the beach was on uh, its Memorial Day weekend. It was packed. Not only was it packed, but but if you grew up in the, in the neighborhood like I do and the hood, you start noticing that there's a lot of police. A lot of police. There's a lot of police. There was police on horses on the beach. Horses on the sand. They were walking on the sand. I've never seen the police other than like a one of those SUVs going through here and there on the beach. I've never seen horses like that. So there was police on on horses, on bicycles, on motorcycles, and police cars. Yeah. Everywhere. And just standing around. They were everywhere. It was like every 10 feet there was, there was a cop. It was so strange. LAPD right there. It was not a good day to bring alcohol to the beach. Venice is LAPD? Yes. Jurisdiction. That's the funny thing about somebody from the hood. You know all the jurisdiction. And you know where every gang is. And you know, I didn't know until I met you the difference between sheriffs and cops, sheriffs and LAPD or sheriffs and police department. I had no 
clue that they handled different stuff, but you knew all that stuff. Yeah. I don't give, I, they're all cops to me in my head, you know, like, I don't know what a sheriff does versus a cop. I don't know what the, what the differences are at all. <laughs> I don't know if, I mean, maybe if politically, I guess I would, I could break down what their roles are, but as a normal citizen, like at the, at their mercy, almost sometimes like, they're the same to me, you know, this is weird. Um, um, Cheryl control or most of East Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. But not Boyle Heights. Right. Boyle Heights is um, LAPD. Yeah, there's LAPD department right there in the <laughs> in the neighborhood. It's weird how maps are drawn out and, and consistently, no, and I mean constantly changing too. You know how we know that? Because when we had Gil Carrillo on the show, mm-hmm. he said that even though LAPD arrested him in East Los Angeles, you mean Frankie Carrillo? No, Gil. Gil. The sheriff. The sheriff. He got He's, arrested? No, even though when they caught... Oh, the Night Stalker. They oh, caught the okay. Night Stalker mm-hmm. in um, East Los Angeles. Yeah. It was still a, a um, sheriff case. Mm-hmm. He had to call it. He had to go pick him up. Yeah. But if it, if it had been in Boyle Heights, it would have been LAPD then. Yeah. Yeah. Although, is it harsher? I mean, is there a preferred... Would you prefer the sheriff to take you in or LAPD? Neither one. <laughs> Because in the end, you're prosecuted the same, right? Yeah, in the doesn't end, doesn't matter. In the end, you're going to be prosecuted <laughs> by the LA County Sheriff. Yeah, but no, by LA by the city of LA. Yes, but when you go to jail, they're all LA County Sheriff. You're in the LA County. Yeah. They're all deputies, yeah. though. They're all deputies. Yeah, in the county jail, mm-hmm. and that's where everybody ends up anyway. If you're going to jail, so we're at this week. <laughs> You're at, um, uh, you'll be in Alabama this week. Yeah. It'll be in Alabama this week. You'll be in uh, um, uh, Orlando next week. And then you have a break, finally. Three weeks? About three or four weeks, three and a half weeks. And then um, you'll be in San Diego, Humphreys by the Bay. And then uh, after that, you're going to be at the end of July. Arlington, Virginia, so Washington, D.C. area at Arlington Draft House. That's we'll be the, eating at Chipotle, that's for sure. <laughs> that's the 29th and 30th of July. So a um, little break in there. We're going to do some bodyboarding, some beach hiking, me- yes. meetings. we got lots of meetings, podcasts, all that stuff. I wanted to talk um, for, well, I guess we'll talk next time about that. I want to try to talk a little bit about our relationship because uh, some people have asked like what's it like to be married to a comic right some people wanted to hear more about that and uh, we'll talk about that and we'll talk about um, what it's like being married to a comic but also what it's like to work together yes because that's I think the bigger challenge is I work for you technically and we work together on stuff and so there's a work mentality and then there's our relationship as well and sometimes there's difficulty separating it yes so but we'll talk about that on another episode something like that <laughs> all right next time next time i love you i love you too all right bye-bye <laughs>